Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. Stay tuned today for an important invitation from Leslie. But for now, here is today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome, I'm Julie Sedenko, and today I'm talking with Carrie, a woman who's been on a long journey of learning about herself, overcoming serious trauma, and even becoming okay with being alone. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Julie. Some of your story starts way before you were ever married with a lot of trauma. Do you want to describe some of that? My parents were under 18 when they got married. By the time I was two, they were separated. Um, A lot of yelling and throwing things and physical violence between my parents. So I have seen a lot from the very beginning. I've been around a lot. They finally split up and then they would actually sort of fight over me. They never did anything legally. So there was being woke up in the middle of the night and taken from one house to the other. Finally, my mother got me and we, she remarried and we moved to a smaller community, which was nice. Carrie, Um, I just want to ask, as you're describing this, what did that do to the little girl, the young Carrie inside? There's a lot of fear, but when it's just your world, that's just all you know. So So maybe you had been woke up in the middle of the night and grabbed and and they take you to school the next day and you go to recess and you're playing as though everything's normal. Yeah, it's a very interesting, that's a great question, because if if that's all you know, you don't know any better. Wow. So it's just your life. Fast forward to when I was in high school, there's even more trauma. My mother divorced my stepdad and relocated me to the area where you're from. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. We share a hometown. We graduated from the same high school. So it's yes. crazy. And that was probably the worst time of my life because my mother just went crazy and mm. there were no limits on what she did. Um, she became a drug dealer, which oh. opened, yeah, just a huge it's just a lot of trauma because I was around so much. I've seen, I've walked in on, you know, adults snorting Coke. I've been around just too much. It's just too much. I've been, and my mom would make me go with her, like to buy her drugs in the big town that we're from, or, you know, so that was kind of a mountain community. And yeah, she just drugged me around to everything. See, it's just crazy to me because I grew up in the same mountain town and I can't even imagine. I can't even, I'm like, where would you even go? I I mean, my mother was crazy. My mother was the way that, because that was a big, I guess, crank was the big thing back then. She was the way it got from the larger city metropolis to this mountain community. She was the way for like, maybe like five years. And I ended up asking if I could go live with another grandmother in another town. And that's what I did for a couple of years. So I was out of it for a while. But so 
that sort of set me up. I guess, um, I guess it would. Yeah. It set, set, set me up. I mean, how do you go from that type of a childhood to having a normal leave it to beaver kind of family life? You have no, you have no concept of what that even looks like. Thank you for saying that. Cause it totally leads into why I did what I did. And what I did is I looked, I looked at other families. I was dating a boy in high school who I didn't really, he wasn't really like this great attraction or anything. He was physically attraction, but we didn't click. But what I did see was, you know, a quote family. I saw a mom and a dad. She drove a nice car. The dad worked. Right. They had food. They had dinner on the table every night at six o'clock. They had all the They went to church on Sunday and it just felt very like, okay, this is what I want. I want that. Yes. So, and I remember I would literally sort of fantasize about, I would look at how somebody dressed, how they looked, the house they lived in. Um, To me, money seemed to be one of the things that might be the key to being happy and being normal because we were always so Oh, it sure helps. Desperately. But... <laughs> yeah, we were like desperately poor. I mean, that's why my mom started selling the drugs is that she was just trying to make ends meet. So yeah. And I was like, well, okay, this is probably what I need. I need to find um, a man. And it all started then. Like I need mm. a man who can rescue me out of this. And it makes and... perfect sense that that's how you would think. And, and it's not even such a bad thing to think I want to find a stable, secure man. I mean, who we can build a life together. That's not a bad thing to want. No, but um, yeah, when you're asking him to fill something, fill all the needs fill all, yeah. <laughs> and, and bring healing to, yeah, nobody can really do that. Can they? No. And honestly, at this point, I mean, I was 18 so needless to say, that marriage did not last. Um, I think five and a half years is how long that one lasted. So then I was working at a grocery store and I met and started flirting with another man. Oh my gosh, I hate telling all this stuff. Um, he was also very gorgeous and had a totally different personality, was very magnetic, um, flirty, fun, had a ton of self-confidence, fun to be around. I worked with them and we became, you know, friends, but I started, you know, thinking, well, maybe this could turn into something else. I was married and he was married. And I always like to pride myself on the fact that, you know, I never really did anything while I was married, but I did leave my husband and he left his wife and we moved in together and it was sort of this whirlwind romance and it was a lot of fun. And I remember thinking that, you know, I haven't talked about God at all in this, which is pretty sad. Because um, when I was nine years old in the little town that I grew up in, I was able to start going to church and I gave my life to God and I got baptized and I don't think he ever left me. And, but yet I chose to do things and live 
you know, my life in ways that I knew were not honoring to him. And I remember when I chose this um, affair and I just remember thinking there's no way God is going to approve of this. And I just told myself, it's okay. I, I have to do this. And I remember literally thinking it was kind of like plugging my nose and jumping because I was terrified. I was terrified to disappoint God, to get divorced, to get into this relationship with this man who I knew was not a Christian, but I wanted it. And I, there was no stopping me. So that's what I did. And for a couple of years, we lived together. We moved to Southern California. We had a beautiful. So, so is that how your first marriage ended then? Yes. Okay. Yes. We had a fun life. He was not still with his wife. He divorced his wife. I divorced my husband. We were living together. Okay. But I found out through some really unfortunate circumstance that he was seeing somebody else. Wait, I mean, (laughs) obviously, if he's going to cheat on, you know, that's not out of his moral compass. You know what I'm saying? So uh, was it a big surprise to you? Did you think that would never happen to you or I know you were young, so that's not. I thought this was different. Yeah, I thought he was in love with me we had the perfect life and so it didn't make sense to me and I was questioning him about some things and he ended up crying and telling me they didn't want to lose me and we actually got engaged out of it so it Julie doesn't that make sense that if a man's willing to marry you he's never going to cheat on you again well yeah I mean he was cheating and but if he even though he was cheating, asked you to marry him, that commitment means he'll never cheat again, even though he cheated on the other woman that he made vows to. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. To a 20, to a 20, what was I 24 by then? Hey, there are older women that have believed that stuff. So no judgment here. (laughs) I literally in my mind was like, well, he obviously is willing to make a commitment to me. And, but inside, make- inside though, don't we all want to be that special one? We want to be the one that they love and cherish above all else and would never, because, because we're so special, they never will. And, you know, overlook the most glaring moral deficiencies but oh my gosh you you hit the nail right on the head you I wanted to be I was that special in his eyes I was and it was going to be great and yeah and let me guess he probably told you that he was he a love bomber oh yes he was a constant love bomber he I don't think he was like on the narcissistic scale where he gaslit and all that he we had a great relationship we hardly ever fought we had a ton of fun together. He always told me how beautiful I was and we had so much fun together. And so we got engaged. We planned this really fun wedding. Um, he basically let me do whatever I wanted to do. And we talked about, um, I was really sad that I never went to college. And so he suggested one day, why don't you go to, why don't you go to business college? You know, go for it. And I was like, 
really? And he's like, yeah. So I was able to like become a legal secretary and we bought a nice house with the, put in a pool. I mean, we had it all right. We had the two cars, the, Hmm. the new house, the new house, the, the, um, the block parties, all the fun, all the friends, you know, dancing, partying. We just had fun. And he had a great family, um, a big family that was very fun and, and accepted me and I had a great life. And then we talked about having kids and he said, I'm willing to do that. And he said, but I want to make sure that you realize that if we cannot get pregnant, I'm not going to go through all the fertility and all that. He's like, you're just going to need to accept it. And I said, okay. So um, I think it took like seven months, but I got pregnant and had a beautiful little boy and I was on cloud nine. Yeah. My life, my life was absolutely perfect. 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 Julie, it was perfect. There wasn't anything I wouldn't change. I finally had the body I wanted. Um, I had the house I wanted. I had the man I wanted and now I had a baby and he was adorable and he was fun. Yeah. Fast forward (laughs) because Carrie still has not worked on her issues. Still does not know anything about her herself. Well, it sounds like your husband had a few issues to work on as well. He did. He was quite the little charming. I always noticed that, you know, we'd go to dinner or something. He'd always flirt with the waitress. He'd always, I could always watch his eyes and he'd watch women walk away. And, you know, he had a thing about looking at bodies and I just tried to act like, well, doesn't really bother me but it did um and I think there was this part of me that knew something was rotten in Denmark but I just didn't (laughs) want to know because I had the perfect life I'll never forget one of my friends who lived down the street she was actually my babysitter um, for my son when I went back to work and she said you guys are the Ken and Barbie of the block and I just remember thinking yes like in my mind go back to that little girl right who was living in people's basements, sleeping on people's couches, never knew where I was going to be the next day, literally didn't know what we were having for dinner, never had the right clothes for school, never, you know, and like all of a sudden I had it all. Mm-hmm. And yet I knew, I knew that something was not right. And one of the things that um, I've come to realize depression is actually sort of a gift. It was for me because it's almost like your body knows that something is not right. And so it starts sending you these signals, but I don't want to listen. So I just keep plowing through. And I ended up being in a spot where I was just really depressed. My son was five. I felt horrible all the time. I couldn't, I just had this deep, deep, deep sadness. I was a little bit stressed because my husband was working crazy hours. He was gone all the time. He was a salesman. There came this point where he was going to do a business trip to Southern California and I was supposed to go with him. And then all of a sudden at the last minute, he changed his plan and he said he was, he decided he was going to go by himself because it was just going to be a really quick trip. 
And I don't even remember what he said now. And I said, okay. And I remember thinking there's probably more to this story, but we don't need to go there. So I just want to stop there for a second. Because one of the big things that Leslie teaches is uh, being committed to the truth. (laughs) Yeah. And there is, because that's, that's a scary step because sometimes the truth means that your perfect little world falls apart. And that's a really scary thing to deal with the reality of that. But inside you were stuffing it down, but you deep inside knew his quick little trip was going to probably include a quickie with somebody, right? I mean, I don't even know if I went to that place in my mind. I don't think I did because I just was in denial, but somehow I did know something was going on. I just, I just couldn't figure it out quickly. And I'm still like that. And did you even want to figure it out? No, I didn't want to figure it out. I wanted it to all be okay because, you know, in my mind at that point with him, I thought that as long as we were having good sex, there would be no reason for him to ever want to go somewhere else. Mm. As long as I looked good, there would never be any reason for him to look at another woman, right? So the, the gym, I got breast implants. Like I literally did have the perfect body. <laughs> like it was just, so in my mind of like, that wasn't an option. There wasn't going to be another woman because what's that song? I am every woman. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, if you think about a long and happy marriage, when you're moving into sixties and whatever, I, I mean, <laughs> You're not going to be able to compete with the 30-year-old waitress there, you know, I mean, implants notwithstanding. (laughs) So if he has a problem. But at this age, I was 34 years old. Well, right. (laughs) You're not thinking down the road. You were that. No, I'm never going to get old. (laughs) Ultimately, if he's got a problem, it's going to appear at some point. Yes, ma'am. And I do realize that now. And because of Leslie, I understand a lot now. Back then I was operating on, I don't know, fumes of just trying to be happy, just trying to get what I I just. So at some point you realized he was having an affair and that marriage ended. He did. He came home from that, that meeting and long story short, after lots of coercing, he finally admitted to me that he was in love with somebody else and he wanted a divorce. So my second marriage is now done. That's a neat and clean sentence. It is. But there's so much in it. There is. Tell me that moment, that that day, what what happened inside of you? I was devastated. I couldn't believe it because we had it all and it didn't make sense to me. Well, honestly, the first thing I thought was, what do I need to change? So I don't because it must be your fault. Absolutely, it had to be, be my fault because you you're somehow weren't somehow enough. I'm not enough. Somehow I'm not enough. That's a devastating thought. It is, but it was my reality, and I was willing to do whatever it took to 
to keep him. What kind of things went through your mind? Honestly, just a blank slate because I was like, what else can I do? I can't think of anything else. And I was doing it all. So Mm -hmm. it was very confusing to me. I think the one thing I did think was it was really hard for me to work full time and take care of my son and take care of my house and take care of my body and do all the things and still be like, you know, the energizer bunny at night when he wanted to have sex or in the morning or whatever. It was like, I, that was the only area it was like, I just need to be able to do that more. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Wow. One of the things we did talk about um, was he wanted me to watch pornography with him and I wouldn't. And he just said he needs it. I told him, I said, it actually does the opposite for me because I know it's wrong. And yeah, so at that point, my mind was spinning, like, how do I save this? How do I, how do I keep him from leaving me? And he actually took a month um, of a break from me and moved in with a friend to sort of have like a neutral space, supposedly, which, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> but right. that's not what he was doing. Um, but he did, he would come to see me and then he would, I'm assuming, see her and then he worked, you know, whatever. So we did this for a month where I was in limbo. But I think the point where I would really like to focus is what I did next. <laughs> okay. Because I immediately thought... I have got to find another man immediately, Julie. I didn't even take a breath. And my thought was. Why? And and yes, please to explain what, what were you thinking? Why did you feel that? Well, because I needed somebody to take care of me and I needed somebody to tell me I was okay and somebody to tell me I was pretty and somebody to be a dad to my son. And then I got a little more twisted. I'm not proud of this. And I was like, well, so I've tried marrying for the first one was just sort of an escape and the good family. Right. And I've tried the whole love and the good looking and the good sex and all that. I've tried that. This next one is going to be a very calculated move. I wanted somebody who maybe idolize me and would be a good provider and wouldn't be somebody that was going to be a player and somebody that would that my son would like and have fun with and and also he would have a good family and would let me stay home and be a mom because I've really felt like the working thing was thing that was pushing me over the edge and then I I'm embarrassed to say this but I really wanted to stick it to my husband I wanted to make him mad and jealous and so we had this mutual friend and he had been single for a while and he was a single dad and we all all of our friends all the women I we all thought he was a great guy And we thought he'd be 
like a great guy to set somebody up on a date with. And we thought he needed a woman. And I was like, well, maybe him. And I wasn't attracted to him, but I was attracted to how kind he was. And he was a gentleman. And like, if kids were around, he'd play ball with them. And I don't know, he just had a, what I thought was like a very sweet personality. Yeah. And I was very attracted to that. And the fact that he was one of my husband's friends was like, <laughs> so. you kind of checked off all those boxes and I don't, I don't think it's bad to have some boxes that you want to check. That's not a bad thing. The things that you were wanting. No, but it is not. But this is the marriage that rocked my world because we got married in two years and I learned very quickly there were many sides to this, you know, kind, sweet gentleman. Quick question. Has life gone the way you expected? The way you wanted? Life is challenging for everyone. Sometimes though, handling the hard times feels impossible. It's like you're going from one breakdown to the next. If this is you, do yourself a favor and mark your calendar for December 5th. Leslie is offering a free workshop on moving from breakdown to breakthrough. This isn't about denying reality, it's about learning to think and live differently. No matter what's happening, you do have choices. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash story to sign up for this important workshop. That's leslievernick.com forward slash story. He could flip on a dime, blow up, scream, cuss, do horrible, horrible things and say horrible things that were beyond imagination. I had never had anybody treat me like that. Mm. And, you know, now I know the term gaslighting, narcissist, covert narcissist would fit him because he could make you think and he could make everybody think he was the coolest, kindest, most harmless, but he was evil. <laughs> mm. And I found that out very quickly, but I was already in too deep. I knew before I married him actually, but I just put everything on the scale and I was like, well, it's worth it because my son loved him. He made good money. We had a good, you know, quote, good life, but I was absolutely tortured by the way he talked to me, treated me, love bombed me. It, it was soul killing. Did, did it bring back memories of your childhood? Like I just married yes. my dad. My mother was a love bomber, a gaslighter, a total life of the party. She could be fun. She could be this, she could be that. And this man that I married and was married to for 22 years, very similar. It's dressed up in a lot better package. <laughs> Right. You know. <laughs> so in some ways you were looking for safety. You were wanting that financial safety, the provider. You didn't necessarily need Ken and Barbie anymore. You wanted a safe place for your son and all these things. And, and that's very common uh, for people to want, especially with your background. But then you found out you didn't feel safe because you were having some of the same issues you grew up with. And, and you got to be the stay-at-home mom and everything. I, I read somewhere in our notes that he would do really extravagant things for the kids. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yes. That, like, that was his 
his way of, I guess, like hedging his bets. Like if he could keep my son sort of And he had a child from a previous marriage. Right. He had a son and I had a son. His son was a year and a half older. And we did a lot of things. Basically, our life revolved around, you know, taking them places, traveling, eating out, skiing. They got motorcycles. Pretty much anything they wanted to do, they they got to do it. And of course as a mom, when you see your child's eyes light up and, you know, they're having a life that they never would have had. I think I, in my mind, I, I just kept telling myself you're doing the right thing because your son is thriving and it can't be all about me anymore. I have to think about my son. And my son has told me, my son is 30 now that he does feel like that was a good life. And he's very glad that he was able to experience that. But while he was getting the Disneyland dad experience, you felt like a child in your marriage. I mean, you were here, you're strong, smart person and uh, a good mom and all this. And how did he treat you like a child? Um, some of the ways he treated me like a child were, well, first of all, I had no authority as far as like money, anything that got spent. I mean, I always had to ask for permission if I did something. I shouldn't say always. There was like a, a, it was okay if it was like something like clothes or something like that. But if I were going to buy a piece of furniture or make a decision or, yeah, I didn't have any I didn't have rights as a wife because I didn't work. So I, I basically handed all over, over all those rights anyway. Um, I think one of the biggest areas that it was an issue was my husband traveled a lot. And I was raising two boys who at times were hard and there were things that would happen and disciplines that would need to be sort of enforced and, you know, basically just like, you know, you're not going to play video games for a week or something like that. And when he would come home from a trip, we would basically all get interviewed separately and he would make the final decision. And generally I was told that I was being too hard on them. And it wasn't just his son. It was both of them. I was being too hard on them. And let's just you know, let's just sort of rethink this. And he would basically, (laughs) I was treated like one of the kids because he'd say, you know, I think you made too big of a deal about that. And he'd just sort of wipe away anything I had put in force when he was gone. And uh, there were times when it made me really angry. I won't lie. And I probably did not handle myself well and acted like a child. And yeah, well, I, I mean, if you don't know how to handle it well, uh, you're righteously angry. I mean, yeah, anybody would be angry at that. And then you don't know how to deal with the feelings that are kicking up inside of you. It makes right. sense. But it's like you, I gave him the ammunition he needed to exactly. say, you're a child. Exactly. And- so he points at you because you're kicking off and you're flipping out and everything. And then it's like, well, see, you're the crazy one. And so when you can't control yourself, it's very easy for them to not look at themselves and see any issue at all. So that's one of the big issues when we don't learn how to 
manage our own emotions. Huge issue. And it, it literally, (laughs) it literally like you're not doing yourself any favors by not, by not getting, but it is a lot of work to figure out. Well, you, Ow. you recognized and you, you self-diagnosed yourself as bipolar. Is that right? Yeah, I did because I thought that has to be, it's definitely me. And long story short, my mother had gone through some crazy psychotic thing and she got diagnosed as bipolar. So in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe that's what my problem is because mm-hmm. supposedly it's genetic and da, 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 da. And, Oh, that's just a whole. So you actually went and got put on medication for bipolar. I did for seven years. I used Theraquil and lithium in a very low dose. So yeah, the whole bipolar thing, that was like this seven years of trying to figure out what my problem was. I started, so I got married in 2000, 2003. I started going to a women's Bible study and I I got an NIV study Bible. I realized early in my marriage, I am going to go under. I'm going to end up divorced again. And I I did not want to do that. Mm -mm. And I was like, God, you are my only hope now. You are my only hope now. I grew in him little by little by little by little by little. I I was that vine who was attached and I was bearing fruit and he just started revealing things to me. He revealed to me I was not bipolar. I went off the drugs on my own. I told a couple of friends just in case to be safe, but he just started showing me little, little by little. He didn't flood me. He didn't overwhelm me. It was just little by little by little through counseling. But I will tell you, when I started reading the word and interpreting it for myself, and I'm sure I heard it from other women in my, this sort of conservative Bible study I was going to, I started interpreting scriptures like God hates divorce, you know, the one in Malachi. Yeah. 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 And all these things is like, oh no. And the, that, the love chapter in Corinthians, oh my gosh, love never does this. Love never does that. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I just, I tried so hard to live that because he was my only hope. This was his word. And man, I have got to figure out. And if you just pray for your husband and you just, and eventually you're going to win him over without a word and you're unbelieving, you know, all that, all that. I was like, I believed it. I had faith in it. At some point I was hurting so bad. Because it was almost like my body was telling me, this is not right. This is not safe. What you are doing is not right. I knew it. But it was not lining up with what I knew or thought I knew about God's word and about what he wanted. There was this huge clash. And I met a new friend, God's divine providence, who told me about Leslie Vernick and she, she mentioned, I think it was a, an interview between Chris Moles and, and her. I literally sat there going, yes. Like everything in me said, yes, I don't have to plug my nose and jump. Like I did on the second one. 
I can stay a Christian and I can walk through this and I can start asking for what I want and I can start having a voice and I can start being a godly woman who says, no, you're not going to cross this line with me. And just, I just started getting like these little glimpses of, I don't have to backslide to ask for more in this marriage. I didn't think it was going to end up in divorce at that point, but I did know some things were going to change. But hearing Leslie, and then, then I read the emotionally destructive marriage and I listened to a few things. And then I listened to the, yeah, the, the big workshop. And I mean, I was, I could not believe, and it was just like, thank you, Lord. I, yes. I finally feel like this makes sense. Finally, a woman who is a godly woman. And I just, I just felt like it's all going to be okay now. I didn't think I was going to get divorced though. At that point, the marriage did. And talk about, I, I, I thought this was such an interesting description where you said you felt like an animal that would chew off its leg to get out of a trap. That's pretty intense. Very intense. That's how bad you ended up wanting to get out of this. Yeah. And in a way I did chew off my leg to get out of the trap. How so? I mean, I lost everything. I lost my two best friends. I lost my house. I lost his family. I I lived in an area for 40 years where I had tons of friends. I mean, it was home. And I... I had to start over. So I'm no longer living where I feel comfortable or felt comfortable. Yeah, I lost a lot. Do you feel better though? Are you still glad you left? Oh my gosh. I am rebuilding my life. It's not easy, but it's worth it. I don't always have that feeling of like waiting for the other shoe to drop or I'm going to get in trouble for something or I'm being spied on or I can't do this or I can't do that. I mean, it's been three and a half years since I've lived with him, divorced for a year. It's finally feels normal to not be like on high alert all the time. It takes a while, or it did for mm -hmm. me, maybe because my whole life I've been on high alert. I don't know. What did you learn through the various programs that you took part of that helped you have the strength to be able to leave? You know, because divorce one time is hard. Three, I can't imagine the feelings and the trauma that that would bring up. But yet you had done a lot of work at this point, you weren't the same person that divorced husband number one and husband number two. How were you a healthier version and, and what helped you to become that? I was a healthier version because I learned to listen to my gut. I learned to pay attention to red flags. So in addition to conquer, which I went all in, I mean, all in. I did the, you know, Leslie does the thing with what's in your big circle. Huge, huge, huge. 
I started being able to, in the moment, ask myself, am I being the Carrie I want to be? I took empower of, I think the first one was the people pleasing course. That was huge. Moving beyond people pleasing. Right. Yes. And when I have this urge to do something for somebody and to think about, well, what if they don't behave in the way I want? Am I going to feel resentment? Am I going to be resentful? That was huge. I learned that I shouldn't do more than I want to do. I shouldn't be a people pleaser. I should do what I feel comfortable doing. That was huge for me because you're always sort of, well, I was always sort of in this, you know, you've heard of the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. I was a fawner. I was a fawner. I was a, let me make myself smaller than you. And it wasn't just in my marriage. I did it in friendships. I did it all across the board. If I make myself smaller than you and you know I'm not a threat and I'm really kind and I'm really gentle and I'm really this and I'm really that, then you'll like me. And just kind of stop doing the self-betrayal because I was doing that so that I would have people that loved me and wanted to be my friends. And I don't know, it's, I didn't want to be alone. Yes. And I, and I didn't even realize that was my problem because if, if one of the things about me was in my old life, I probably at one point would have 25 to 30 friendship text message, have lunch, have coffee things going on at one time. Mm -hmm. I had that many good friends. And so I think I got asked in one of my classes, like, are you afraid of being alone? I was like, no, but the truth, cause I have so many friends like, no, the truth is I don't want to be alone. <laughs> I, like, I, I think that was like the hardest part was like being okay with being alone. How did you, what was it? You were talking about the big circle and different things. How did you become okay with being alone? Because you didn't divorce this guy and go run off, run into the arms of somebody else. Or you better not have, because if I find out that you've got a boyfriend. No, 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 I (laughs) I haven't. It's funny. Um, I think I just did it one day at a time. Were there certain lessons? I know you, you hired a life coach, you had coaching, um, you did the walking and core strength and uh, moving beyond people pleasing. You were really focused on Carrie. Yes. And not trying to get a man or anything else to fill what was wrong inside. So tell our listeners, what were the big aha moments, highlights, things that you learned that really were life-changing for you to be in this place now and not get in the shakes uh, because there isn't a man around? This is huge. I don't remember which, it might've been in walking in course strength. We created this little um, situation, thoughts, feelings, truth journal. Mm -hmm. And that was huge for me because it was taking every thought captive because everything I do started with a thought. Well, it started with something happening, which would trigger you know, feelings. So that, so the bubbly feelings would hit me of, I feel 
sad. I feel awful. I feel sick. I feel hurt. I feel whatever. And I did this cute little tiny book where you open it up and you could do four columns and it was situation, thoughts, feelings, and truth. And sometimes all I could get was the feelings. Like I feel devastated right now. I am so hurt right now. Okay. What happened? Back up. What happened? And I'd figure out, you know, my friend said this to me or my son said this. And then I would go through, okay, this is the situation. You know, my son said, um, he can't believe that I'm doing this again. And his whole world is going to be rocked because of it. Mm. And I feel like a failure. I feel like I disappointed everybody. I hate myself. I, this cannot be my life. Mm. And then the thought, well, actually those are probably more the thoughts, but so the thoughts and the feelings are a little, they squirm into each other. Yeah. But like, what are the crazy thoughts I'm thinking? You know, like it's never going to be okay. My son's never going to heal from this trauma. He's, he's going to feel about me. Like I feel about my mom or whatever. And then sometimes I'd have to wait hours or a day to even get to the truth. But if I could just get that down, like what happened? Why am I feeling this way? What am I thinking? What am I telling myself? And then the truth always, it always trumps all of it. And it always has a scripture, always. Because, I mean, God, he's a restorer of what the locusts have eaten. And he causes all things to work together for my good because I love him. And I would sort of change the scriptures around so they were reading right to me. Mm-hmm. that's probably been the biggest help for me. The biggest change was capturing those thoughts. Now that I've got three of these little journals full, I literally labeled them Satan's fiery darts because he tries the same thing on me over and over and over. Hmm. And it's really helpful, especially if I, something happens now, because I'm not doing this on a daily basis anymore because I'm not struggling like I was, but I can look through those old journals and I'm like, oh my gosh, here it is again here. And I, I literally have my truth and it's so easy to just glean from my own stuff, you know? Yeah. Wow. Tell me, where are you at in your life today? You've been divorced for a year. Is that right? Yes. My divorce was maybe a little over a year. I've had a lot of health issues. Mm. Um, I'm trying to get physically healthy. Food was one of my comforting things and alcohol periodically. Um, I am trying to take better care of myself. Um, I found out I was pre-diabetic. That was a huge wake-up call. I'm continuing to work remotely just part-time I branched out and tried something really brave I I staged um a home oh wow yeah I actually was able to sell a home where I was from and I at the end of 
fixing the house up to get it to sell, I thought I really want to decorate this house so bad. I want to decorate it so bad. It's such a cool house. And I re remember praying, just walking through the house. I was staying in it. And I heard the Lord say, if not now, when? And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. So I ended up buying furniture for this house, staging it. It sold on day one. I got three over asking price offers on day one. Wow. And so I got like just a ton of confirmation, like, okay, you know how to do this. And so. I took all that furniture. I brought it up to where I'm living now. I put it in storage and I met a friend here who's a realtor and she had a house coming up. Um, it didn't quite fit the furniture that I have, but, and it was a huge house. It was like 4,400 square feet. And I was like, mm. oh, I think that's just way too much to bite off, but I'm going to try it. And I just, I just kept, I guess, being brave and, yes. and just like, all right, I'm just going to try it. And I staged this house and it turned out so good. I mean, it's a rough time to sell this kind of a house where I'm at right now because it oh, is yeah. a big house and the price. But that felt like such an accomplishment because I've always wanted to have my own business and I'm creative and I like to decorate. I have kind of a weird style, a little bit eclectic. So I did that. I joined a divorce care group. I've made, I, I made myself join a women's Bible study where I'm at. I found a church. I have made a couple of good friends and I'm just trying to continue to grow and sort of start over. You said you have learned to start asking for things that you want. Mm, yes. That is, that is actually huge because I can't expect people to read my mind. You know, mm -hmm. I think what I would do in the past is I would, I would maybe be super extra nice to somebody hoping that they would like invite me over or hoping that they would whatever. And now I can just say, Hey, I really don't want to be alone today. Is there any way you could walk? I would never do that before. Mm -hmm. It feels wow. a little vulnerable. It feels a little weird sure. to me because I'm just not used to just asking for what I want. Even with my son, he's living out of the country now and just letting him know, like, I'd really like to FaceTime in the next couple of days. Can you do that? I would never do that before because it just feels, somebody might say no, you know? So being able to sit in that feeling of like, I'm going to ask for what I want and I'm, they might say they don't have it to give. Right. And I'm still going to be okay. <laughs> yes. And you, you also said that you feel like people have more respect for you now. Describe what you mean. Yeah. Even my mom is respecting my no. If I tell her no on something. Um, I feel it with my son. I feel it with my friends. Oh, definitely in my job. Oh my gosh, my job. There was um, a person at my job that used to be so rude to me. And I was a little, I don't know, I just, I always visualize, you know how when a, a younger puppy is with a 
bigger dog and they will run up to it and they want to play and then they will flip over on their back. Have you ever seen a puppy do that? Yes. Yes. I did that all the time. I always want, I would, you know, in my mind, I was like running up to them and I wanted them to like me. And I'd be like, flip over on my back, like, please play with me, you know, please like me. And I did that with this person where I work. You try to conform to the person that they want you to be. Yeah. Or just kind of like I was saying earlier about fawning, where you just like, I make myself so small and so non-threatening. So that way you're going to, you'll take a chance on me, you know, you'll, (laughs) but um, I actually got told by my, um, she's actually my office manager. When I went back to work this time for her, she said, you're different. And she said, you seem like you're in a lot better place. And what cracks me up is I was so much nicer to her back then, but she did not have any respect to me for me. Cause now I'll tell her no, or I'll say, wow, Mm. that sounded a little rough or could, you know, like I'll kind of have a little bit of pushback with her. So I think I'm, I feel more respected and I respect myself more, I think, because I'm not just constantly betraying myself. (laughs) Is there anything that you would want to say to a listener who is in the place that you were, maybe has some of that childhood trauma baggage is maybe facing a second or even third divorce and feels like a failure. You know, it's just a lot of those feelings is telling yourself some of the lies that you believed. What would you say to that woman? Well, the first thing I would say is I'm sorry because it is rough. And I would also say that there is hope that you are not alone. If you can just find one person to talk with and if you will join Conquer and actually do the work, walk through the modules, listen, read, start practicing all the things that you're going to get exposed to, there is hope. And, and yeah, it is going to be a long journey. I'm not going to lie to you on that, but it doesn't have to stay the way it is. You don't have to stay the way you are. And I think that if you can just hold on to that and just keep trusting God and taking one little step at a time and leaning into this conquer program, it will change your life, not just your marriage. It'll change you and who you are and how you show up every single day, even for yourself. And if conquer isn't open, um, which I know we just closed the doors, um, but we've got walking in core strength coming up. There's moving beyond people pleasing. There's empowered to change. There's always something going on where you can go and become a part of a group of women who are wanting to befriend one another, work together to get well and all of those things. So just always go to Leslie's website and see what's coming up next. And uh, we'll provide some resources in the show notes, but Carrie, thank you. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing such a painful testimony and one that isn't over yet. It's not over yet. Right. That's one of the reasons why I struggled doing this because I'm like, 
It should be all wrapped up in a tidy little box with a cute little bow on it, but it's not. That's called a coffin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that that's nobody. I mean, you could have said that back when you had that little perfect life, right? Yeah. But the bow comes unraveled. The thing is that you're, you're working on the mess that is reality that's inside or outside or whatever. And so sometimes, you know, when you clean out the closet, it's a disaster, right? Uh, it, it's 10 times worse than it ever was, but that's how you get things cleaned up. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I have a, I have an analogy I heard once about like, if you fall down, skin your knee and you get some dirt and some little sand in there and you just don't clean it and you let it kind of start to heal. There is a point where you have to reopen the wound and get, get the gunk out. And yes. it hurts. It hurts. But it's so worth it because there's healing and strength that will come from being willing to, you know, open up the, the box of the past and look at it. You don't have to stay there, but you do have to look and you have to learn. And at some point, you can kind of close the chapter it's still there. It's still tender, obviously, you know, I'm crying and, but generally like I have hope and I know that God is continuing to work. He's still working things out with my mother and the story's not over till it's over. That's one of the, one of my famous sayings is <laughs> it's not over till it's over. Yeah. And the thing is, I think that it, it's so much more real to be able to talk to somebody who doesn't have everything all tied up in a pr pretty little bow, because we can't always ever picture ourselves being like that. You're a real picture of having been through a lot and continuing to persevere and get better. And I just really appreciate you being a part of this program to share it with us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Leslie and I want to encourage you to set aside just a little more time on December 5th, either noon or 7.30 Eastern, for a free workshop where she will teach you how to move from living in breakdown to experiencing breakthrough. Even in the midst of difficult relationships and brutal circumstances, you have choices. Make the first one now by going to leslievernick.com forward slash story to reserve your spot at this workshop. It will make a difference in your life. Until next time, may God bless all of your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.